What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. A big week ahead. Crypto on the hill, inflation data, and a fresh Fed decision. White House chief economist Heather Boucher and the biggest issues on the president's radar. When you look over the past few decades, the United States has seen labor supply that has not kept up with what has happened in other countries. Washington is waiting to hear from embattled crypto kid Sam Bankman-Fried directly. Jay Clayton, former head of the SEC, has a preview of the testimony we'll all be watching. One of the things that makes you a good witness in front of Congress is whether you're coming off as authentic or not. And that is actually a very important part of preparing for these types of hearings. Plus, SBF and crew in Margaritaville forcing Jimmy Buffett to search for his lost bill. Jimmy Buffett confirmed to me that the story is true. I emailed him yesterday just to ask him about it. He said, yep, it's true. All that and the rest of today's stories that got us talking. Janet Yellen on 2023, Twitter Blue 2.0, and Joe Kernan wowed by Apple Pay. Welcome to 2022. Whether he's paying for it or not. I like everybody to be happy. Yes, (laughs) smart man. It is Monday, December 12th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen speaking out on the economy. Here's what she had to say about the odds of recession and her outlook on inflation on CBS's 60 Minutes last night. What is 2023 going to look like for the average consumer? So I believe inflation will be lower. Um, I am very hopeful that the labor market will uh, remain quite healthy uh, so that people can feel good about their finances and their personal economic situation. First of all, shipping costs have come down, delivery lags, which were very long, um, those Um, have shortened. Gas prices down. Gas prices are way down. I think we'll see a substantial reduction in inflation in the year ahead. It's going to take a year. Well, I believe by the end of next year, you will see much lower inflation if there's not an unanticipated shock. Secretary Yellen uh, reiterating that she doesn't believe a recession is necessary to bring down inflation. I thought it was a little interesting to hear her say that it would take to the end of 2023 to have the much, much lower inflation. But for the most part, she's been relatively consistent over the past uh, couple of weeks and months now. It was a good piece. I watched. I watched because the CBS always has, usually has a game that goes late and it usually doesn't come on until like That was not the case yesterday. So there was nothing else on at, at the time. What a compliment you just <laughs> 
Twitter is relaunching its Twitter Blue subscription service today at a higher price for Apple users. The company tweeted that users can subscribe on the web for $8 a month or on iOS for $11 per month to get access to subscriber-only features, including the blue checkmark. Elon Musk complained last month about the 30% fee that the iPhone maker charges software developers for in-app purchases. As for the revamp, Twitter said it will soon begin replacing the official label with a gold checkmark for businesses, and later in the week, a gray checkmark for government and multilateral accounts. Subscribers who change their handle, display name, or profile photo will temporarily lose their blue checkmark until their account is reviewed. Uh, just as a uh, you, news you can use for people who are doing this from home, uh -huh. you can get you can pay the same amount, the cheaper price from your iPhone. I think just we, if you go through the web instead of you just need to go to the, the web page. You just need right. to go to the web. You just need to go to the web page for Twitter.com. Just don't buy it through the App Store if you want to. Just get don't buy it. Use trying to use Apple Pay. This is all about basically using Apple Pay. So I've seen a lot of the stories out there say you know, they're charging one thing for for Apple users and another thing for everybody else. It's like using a credit card in a store. It depends on how you use. You, you can very much use your phone and get the exact same subscription at the cheaper price, you just have to decide you're not going to use Apple Pay itself. Right. But in, that's, in not all that, that's not all that different, actually, from charging it's, you more to use a credit card than cash at the gas right. station. It's what it's Netflix right. does. Yeah. It's what um, I think Spotify might do. There's some, there, are, there are a whole bunch of other services, obviously, that now are trying to migrate you to the web so that they can bypass the fee, that, as you yeah, just the discussed. Credit cards, yeah. <laughs> do you use Apple Pay sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. I do. You do. Yeah. Both of you do. Okay. I or do. I do PayPal, not. or I have a bunch of different things I do that, I use. But we'll be out. The, app, the shop with, there. With Blake, my daughter. Yeah. We'll be getting things, coffee or something. And I'll go, oh, and she'll go, I got this. And she'll use Apple Pay. <laughs> that you're right. paying for? Yeah. But it's, with her, it's like, this is amazing. Watch it's this. Free and money. it's like, nothing ever. I never see a bill. It's just, here, I've got it on Apple Pay. <laughs> right. Is that how it works? Welcome to uh, 2022. No, but he's paying the bill on all of it. Oh, that's oh the, you get the bills. Yes. I see. Yeah. He's, that's what he's complaining about. Yeah, they like, when is that? I, I got they this cut, there, there is a, Isn't there's a credit card associated with yes, it? Yes, yours, yeah. probably. Some, oh, yeah, it's yeah. mine, but it's, associ <laughs> it's, it's associated. When are you yes. planning to cut that off? Uh, I don't, I like everybody to be happy. happy. Yes, <laughs> smart man. <laughs> I, I do, Andrew. I do. You know, you're you still think that you want to fund my Apple Pay? No, no. But you still think that's going to happen? Where you tell your kids, oh, you know, you're. But um, I don't. And when is this going to apply to me? Right. Um, yeah, it, we've got every, a few more years. Wants everybody to be happy. It's no, uh, no, no, no. It's not going to apply no, to you. No, no. But it's I think your kid. At home, he means. I think the twins. The kid twins are going to be on their own at about 14. I think in your family, right? How many years is that? Okay. Uh, aren't they? Yeah, we're, we're getting up there. Or are they already on their own? Well, oh, no. You know, I have entrepreneurs in my family, so they're going to all hopefully... You're not going to cut them off when they go to college. We'll see. It's, 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 we'll see. Yeah, mine's out of... Come well, home. She's out of college. Home. That's got nothing... It's, I don't know <laughs> not what... Not for long. Isn't not there... Not um, When do they get thrown off your insurance? Like, 26. I would say that's probably not going to happen then either. Uh, I don't know. You'll just start paying well, the tabs yourself. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's just, you know, it's the parental. I'm not singing the blues. Blake, I'm not pushing for it either. No, I just want no, Blake no. to know. I'm not I'm, singing. I'm actually rooting for Blake here in this instance. <laughs> I know you are. Yes, he sticks it to me. <laughs>
Now to a story in the New York Post that says executives from Alameda Research racked up $55,000 in unpaid tabs at Margaritaville in the Bahamas, not just at the restaurant. This is a resort there, too. So I think part of it was they were staying there at these places. Alameda, of course, is the FTX-linked crypto trading firm that was owned by Sam Bankman-Fried. The report says that employees stayed for weeks or months in about 20 suites at the Jimmy Buffett-themed resort and hadn't paid their bill when the firm collapsed. Jimmy Buffett confirmed to me that the story is true. I emailed him yesterday just to ask him about it. He said, yep, it's true. So count him among the creditors. Tomorrow, Sam Bankman-Fried is set to testify before the House Financial Services Committee. The committee said it will also hear testimony from newly appointed FTX CEO John Ray. But Andrew, I think you're right when you were betting last week that it'll be remote. Oh, the tomorrow, yes. Yeah. I believe that. Probably not going to be in person. I think that's maybe a hologram. We may never it's see coming. any of these guys in person. I don't know about has, has CZ been in the country recently? I nope. don't think any of these guys ever are. Nope. They're all based somewhere else. I don't think else. you want to be in the country. I think if you could avoid the country, it would be helpful. And where would be the best place to go? Somewhere where they don't have an extradition. That's what treaty. I mean, but what's the best place? You know? But the truth is, I mean, look, on, on the Sam Bankman-Fried of it all, yeah. he is in a place where you can, you can 100% you can. be extradited. So right, right, if, right. If and when there is a, a case to be brought, there's a case to be brought, and he can be brought. The only thing that I understand that it makes it slightly different is that if you're going to actually charge people with something that you're going to extradite them for, you need to have all the charges pretty much lined up. You can't start adding 10,000 charges after the fact. So in fact, it makes it harder, or at least it makes it um, more complicated. You have to get all your ducks in a row as, a, as yeah. a prosecutor if in fact that's, you know, a lot of people say, why isn't someone's, you know, they'd say, oh, Madoff was put, I'm not necessarily saying he is Madoff, but Allegedly, there are people who speculate. Right. They say Madoff was, you know, it, it went to jail in 24 hours. And I go, yes, because he turned himself in. And they say, well, why is this guy, you know, out on the street? Well, you know, if, if you right. want to bring a case, and you, well, obviously you, you have to decide, case, right? you have to decide, you know, whether you have all of the right charges and whatnot. And I imagine, as we know, that the DOJ and others are looking into this. Right. We, we, they just don't, they don't want to lose it, right? If you, you don't if, want to lose a case. You bring, right. it, you bring the best possible case. Well, we use comparisons. We don't mean that everything is, is like made of it. You're making a point about a specific thing about me. Last week, Thalir, remember I said, you were talking about guilty. <laughs> I go, well, OJ, and you know, so people think I'm calling. No. Uh, saying, I'm not calling OJ. I'm just saying that maybe there's times when you could the, defense, your... the defense team knows as well as everybody else what's really happening. You still give them a, a, the best defense that you possibly can, even though you might have a pretty good idea. You know, you can't say, I'm not representing this guy. He's guilty. You can't do that. But well, uh, you, you can. I'll, I'll, uh, but you somebody can. has to represent him. Somebody you don't, has you to don't have to be the person. Somebody has to represent yeah. Cheese will be next. Coming up, keeping things made in the USA. White House economic advisor Heather Boucher on the president's energy, manufacturing, and labor goals. These are supply-side investments that are going to make our economy more productive, more resilient, more competitive internationally. It's economics and landscaping. Just another day at Squawk Box. You usually have a leaf blower, gasoline-powered leaf blower, so that I can't (laughs) hear what's going on. It is a leaf blower behind me, yes. It's an electric one. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. 
At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. To the latest out of Washington and the race by Congress to once again strike a deal to keep the federal government funded. Congressional leaders set to return to the Capitol today, hoping to reach a deal on on a full-year spending bill before Friday's deadline. But there are some key divisions that remain. Elon Moy joins us right now with the latest. And Elon, we've heard about this in the past, these deals where we're coming up against government funding falling apart. I think at this point we're just conditioned to think that this deal is going to get done. Are we wrong to think that? Yeah, well, there's still a lot of hope, Becky, even though the top line spending number is still in flux. Now, we know the number will likely come in over $1.5 trillion. But at the end of last week, the two sides were still roughly $25 billion apart. A Senate Democratic aide told me last night that negotiators did make progress over the weekend and that the senator leading these talks, Patrick Leahy of Vermont, is holding off on releasing his own version of a spending bill today in hopes of reaching that bipartisan deal. Now, an agreement would need at least 10 GOP senators on board, but half a dozen Republicans have already come out against any deal brokered during the lame duck session. They want to wait to negotiate in the next Congress when Republicans take control of the House. In a recent letter to Senate leadership, they wrote, quote, for the Senate to ram through a so-called omnibus bill would utterly disempower the new Republican House from enacting our shared priorities. Now, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy, who could become speaker, is also against passing a comprehensive spending bill right now. Guys, there is talk of just doing a stopgap measure that would keep the government open, but flatline spending. The problem is no one can agree on how long it should last. So, Becky, even though we've seen time and again lawmakers come up to the deadline and get something passed, we've also seen government shutdowns happen too frequently as well. What do you think the most likely scenario is, that last case that you laid out, just this idea that they they kind of kick the can down the road? Yeah, I think they need more time, quite frankly. So right now, the deadline is Friday at midnight. You know, there's still another week before you get to the real deadline, which is Christmas, and everyone wants to be home with their families. So it seems likely that they, whatever scenario happens, even if they do get that full comprehensive spending deal going, that they would need at least one more week to kind of put it together um, and to get it passed through both chambers of Congress. So it seems likely they're going to need at least one more week. Beyond that, if they can actually come together and reach that full year deal, that remains to be seen. Um, A one year stopgap funding measure seems unlikely at this point, but that's what Democrats say their plan B is, at least for now. So I guess we're going to be talking about this, at least for the near future, for quite a bit. Thank you. It's a key week uh, for the economy and economic data. Tomorrow is November CPI. Wednesday, we get the latest Fed interest rate decision. And Friday, the government uh, could shut down if lawmakers I can't reach at least a temporary deal on funding. Uh, Joining us now on all this is Heather Boucher, a member of President Biden's Council of Economic uh, Advisors. It's good to see you uh, this morning. Nice backdrop. 
Uh, Heather, do you, once again, we're going to hear from, uh, from the Fed and, and Jay Powell. And I know that the Fed needs political independence. Uh, but, you know, when you're in the business of trying to get everyone working and, you know, trying to have a strong economy, is there any uh, grousing in the White House about this Fed at this point that we got things going so well, we understand inflation, but please don't kill uh, the goose that, that's laying the golden egg. Do you ever hear that? Well, here's the thing, Joe. Uh, we believe in the independence of the Fed, so I will not comment on Fed policy. Um, and certainly what we at, here at the White House are focused on is making sure that the economy is delivering for working families, that the president is doing what he can to uh, you know, keep the economy on track. And the president has said time and time again that one of the most important economic issues facing families is getting inflation down. And he has made that his priority, doing what he can to address inflation through, you know, all the work that's been happening to make sure supply chains have been functioning, which, of course, they are now to a larger degree, and all the other things that are helping to, to lower prices for families, including lower prices that families are facing now for gas prices at the pump, um, which is certainly, uh, you know, a welcome relief at, during this holiday season with the typical two-driver family saving about $175 relative to the peak uh, early this summer. So these are the kinds of questions that we in the White House are talking about right now in, in terms of the economy. Well, you look at the gas price, we got it up there now, oil, $70. So there are positive things on the inflation front. When, uh, on a Friday, when you have a, like last Friday, you have a good jobs number, and then you see that there's wage gains. And all of a sudden, everybody's all up in arms. And the Fed, oh my God, we got to be much nastier about raising rates than we were. No one at the White House goes, uh, that why are higher wages a problem when it's something we've been trying to do for so long? Doesn't the, uh, I don't know, it, it just seems like a warped way uh, to try to bring inflation under control. Well, and you know, Joe, this is exactly why the president has been so focused on the agenda to make sure that we are supporting industries that are moving us to a clean economy, making sure that our economy can be resilient, and so that we are creating good jobs all across the country. Now, the president last week was focused on um, the, the conversation he was having in Phoenix, where there is now uh, an increase in an investment by a company named TSMC uh, to $40 billion in, in a second semiconductor facility. This is going to create good jobs in that community on top of lots of other investments all across the country in semiconductors and clean energy in U.S. manufacturing. And so the president and the economic team are really focused on, uh, you know, that piece of the of the real economy, where those jobs are being created and how that is going to be benefiting American families and creating those good jobs, uh, hopefully union jobs uh, across the U.S. economy. Let me just try to drill down on, on what you think or what you would concede resulted in, in the inflation. And a lot of it is in, uh, is in the labor market, so we'll talk about that in a second. But there's also, um, when you increase demand with stimulus, sometimes that, that causes uh, some inflation. Would you continue to, to try to uh, affect some of the, the president's priorities, knowing that it was uh, counter to what the Fed is doing? Would you con continue to, to uh, have demand increase by uh, you know, spending on whatever, on whatever social programs you want to spend on? Or at this point, do you think we really need to take a pause, let the Fed affect demand so inflation's come down? Should we, should we keep spending? Got more to do next year? 
Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, the, there have been a series of historic investments that are now going into the economy. Uh, the last congressional, this congressional session has been historic in terms of the amount of legislation it's gotten through, much of which on a bipartisan basis, and much of which has been focused on addressing core challenges on the supply side of the economy. We all saw over the course of the pandemic how fragile America's supply chains are. And we've seen, of course, it's brought into stark relief, especially since Putin's unprovoked war in the Ukraine, um, how we need to make sure that we are focused on this transition to clean energy for the sake of the environment, but also to make sure that we have that energy independence. And so the president's focus on, you know, again, semiconductors, but clean energy, on making and building things here in America, those are the kinds of investments that we need to continue to make to support the economy nationwide. But these are supply-side investments that are going to make our economy more productive, more resilient, more competitive internationally over time. Yeah. So, we talk, so oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your no, thought. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that the, we talk about it all the time here, that a lot of the the angst, the worry is about um, this labor market we have now and, and the shortage, whether it's immigration, whatever you want to blame uh, for the shortage uh, of labor. But that's where a lot of the inflation, the, the long term systemic worry comes from the labor market. And I was going to bring this up with you with you anyway, but there is a piece in the journal today that just uh, serendipitously about uh, the, the what a person can 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 when they stay at home and don't work that they can have a pretty good fifty fifty five thousand dollar maybe worth of income and it's much harder to get people back into uh into the office or back into the workforce because of this do you think there's anything what? to that that, that that the best laid plans a lot of times you know, the best yes. intentions lead to, to something else. So if, if that's causing... Unintended consequences. Yeah. So here's the thing. So, so let's step back and look at, at the big picture on labor supply, because I 100% agree with you. This is an important, very important constraint on our economy right now. But it has been for a long time. You know, when you look over the past few decades, the United States has seen labor supply that has not kept up with what has happened in other countries. We've seen um, uh, labor supply for both men and women falling, um, falling, um, you know, where it, it has not happened in other countries and many of our economic competitors. And so I think we need to ask ourselves why, why Americans aren't participating. And there are a number of reasons. One of the things that the president focused on time and time again as a part of the Build Back Better package was making sure that workers and their families had access to care, child care, making sure families had home care access and all the things so that people could get to work. Um, but we've seen over the course of the pandemic that labor supply for the most part has come back. It's you know been a little bit volatile with the month to month, but that is a good indication that we're on the right path. But certainly, um, these are long-standing issues, and some of it, is, too, is about the quality of jobs that people have. We know that if job quality is higher, if hours are um, compatible with family life and, and uh, easy to navigate, you get a schedule more than a few days in advance, if they're good jobs with benefits and with access to a union, these are all things that induce people to come into the labor market and keep in, um, and, and work at their fullest productive capacity. So that's why the president has been focused on labor supply, as you correctly point out. I guess they, uh, you remember back in the 90s, Bill Clinton, and, and somehow we came together on, on bipartisan welfare reform, and the labor uh, participation rate went way up in that period. Now we've been through this pandemic, and I, the, this is the way the, 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 edit, the editorial goes at the end here, that uh, 
the bipartisan welfare reform of the 90s worked. And now, after the pandemic uh, relief bills, we're sort of back in to where it's, it's, it's bloated at this point. Too much of the pandemic stimulus is still around so that it, it's hard to induce people to come back, which co- I need more money if I'm going to come back, which goes into well, higher a, wages, which, which goes into the higher inflation. So we're trying to help people. There's a fact but, there, though. There's a fact that we need to be aware of, which is that for prime age workers, labor force participation is almost back to where it was, about where it was pre-pandemic. So I think that we really, that argument needs a little bit of fine-tuning there uh, to get the facts right. So, so I think it's actually quite remarkable, given long COVID, given how many families have been struggling um, with the pandemic and with you know, ongoing challenges with this you know, difficult uh, flu season this year, um, that, that actually things have looked so positive on that side of the ledger. All right. Now, you, you are, so you usually have a leaf blower, gasoline-powered leaf blower, so that I can't hear what's going on. What's that? What is what's happening now that you're piping in there? Is that? Uh, that it is that, a leaf blower behind me. Yes. I think that must be an electric one. Do they know that, that uh, this you're is on TV? Yeah, you're, you're on TV. Uh, it, we heard Janet Yellen uh, last night talk about next year uh, inflation will be down. Maybe we don't uh, have a recession. Do, do you think, as a trained economist? Do recessions, I asked this earlier, do they always come from the Fed orchestrating a recession or can it come from just the business cycle is just due for, uh, I don't know, a, a retrenchment? Well, this, as we all know, this has been a challenging economic time, right? We've gone through a global pandemic. We have emerged from that strong in a relatively good position. The economic data at this moment does not indicate that we are in a recession. Of course, we saw growth in the third quarter. We continue to see jobs being added last month around 260,000 jobs. That is a very healthy pace of job creation. Um, so we are um, we're seeing uh, some of the prices starting to come down or the pace slowing, the slowest pace of uh, producer price increases since May of 2021. So signs are pointing in the right direction. We do not appear to be in a recession at this point. The data do not indicate that. Do you think that the Fed is going to keep going until they, they see that and until, until it becomes clear to them? That, that they have orchestrated at least a landing, whether it's hard, whether it's soft or, or whatever. Do, do you- well, we are hoping for that smooth landing. Yeah. Um, but again, the Fed is independent, so we can't comment on Fed policy. But, you know, so far, prices have been abating and the economy has continued to add jobs. So um, trying to find that sweet spot, we all knew it was going to be complicated. Coming out of a global pandemic certainly uh, is very complicated on top of the war in the Ukraine that has upended global energy markets. But given all of that, the U.S. economy has been resilient and has continued to show uh, forward momentum. So I think that all that all indicates good things. Well, I heard you, you know, this is all, we have a record of this conversation. I heard you, you speak positively about supply side uh, solutions to this. So I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that again in the future. And I want Next time, I want to see a list of all these things because I don't. I, I personally don't know if there's been enough. A lot of demand. Demand side, it's frustrating to, because you're, we're killing demand, and that's you know the opposite of what we really should want to do. So if we could increase supply, it would be great. But then I'm going to call you a supply sider, and I know you probably wouldn't like that. <laughs> well, Thanks. Janet Yellen wrote a speech on supply side, so there you go. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is expected to testify to Congress this week. We'll hear from former SEC chair Jake Layton about what's at stake. I think there was 
obviously a great deal of bad behavior here. From our perspective as to how you run a financial institution in the United States, but also from a general perspective in how you handle any business. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by Joe. His mic. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site uh, in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick uh, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I just wanted to confirm that's where we, uh, where we are. That's where we are. That looks like uh, that is factual. That is factual. Times Square is right, uh, right outside. It's not really rainy, but it just seems dreary. It's, uh, it's going to be... Finally, the snow stopped. Finally, the snow stopped. And it's, it's uh, when do we start getting longer days? Like December 22nd. So Not that's that I'm coming. The days. Yeah, exactly. So there's still. But a month from now, it's going to be just like it is right now because you go two shorter. weeks shorter and then two weeks out. Yeah. This week, there are two hearings on Capitol Hill focused on the fallout from the collapse of FTX. The current CEO of FTX, John Ray, and ousted CEO Sam Bankman Fried are expected to testify in front of the House tomorrow. Joining us is Jay Clayton, former SEC chairman and a CNBC contributor. He's also non executive chair of Apollo and an American Express uh, board member. You saw uh, Andrew's interview the, of, of Bankman-Fried and, and other, he gave other interviews. Is this gonna be different when he's testifying actually before Congress? Will there be more I don't recalls instead of more I didn't do, do any, didn't know I was doing anything wrong? I, I, I mean, he's, under, he's gotta tell the absolute truth now, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think there'll be more of the same, but then they'll, then there'll be more, Joe. Um, there's a lot going on in these congressional hearings. Um, people will be trying to get to the bottom of what happened. Um, did it happen because it was offshore? Would it have happened in the U.S.? But then there's a lot of other things. I mean, mem- members of Congress are not constrained in what they're able to ask. Um, well, people it was will- Andrew. Were you Andrew? I don't <laughs> no, think you were concerned. No. Nope. But, but, but if, they, if someone says, did you knowingly commingle customer funds with Alameda? What did he say to you when you asked him that? He's like, oh, you know, it, it was like nebulous the way it, doesn't he have to give a more? He didn't give a, if, it's, if we didn't get to a yes or no. What do you, that's what I mean. So does he do it, I don't recall now? What does he do? I, I know people do, I don't recall again and again and again. You know, like, one, I think one of the reasons this is going to be so interesting and why we're talking about today is we will see. We'll see how he handles those questions um, under that kind of pressure. One one of the things that makes you a good witness in front of Congress is whether you're coming off as authentic or not. And that that is actually a very important part of preparing for these types of hearings. If he perjures himself in front of them, what happens? Well, I mean, perjury is perjury. And, you know, you're not... uh, I don't recall it's going to be more than, no, I didn't do anything. I, I am sure that he is preparing um, thoroughly and, and going, going through a, you know, a fair amount of what is referred to as murder boarding, Q&A, what, you know, how would you respond to this? That, that's a big part of preparing for a hearing like this. Can you talk about the distinction between civil negligence and criminality? 
in the context of what we think has happened here? Well, look, the, the, you know, the, the interesting part about the law is it's very complicated around someone's mental state. Um, is your mental state just, you know, lack of paying attention? That's the, I would say, the vernacular way to say negligence. Is it, you know, you, were, you had an obligation to pay attention? There were all sorts of signs that you should be paying attention and you ignored them, recklessness? Or do you have some kind of intent that you were like, for example, you know, I need that right. money. It's not right. my money, but I'm, right. got, but, I'm, but I'm going to consciously um, transfer it to my account. Those, those levels go to level of culpability, different responsibilities at law. I mean, we, have, we, have a, we actually have an amazingly flexible and nuanced legal system around situations like From what like you've this. seen thus far, maybe unfair to prejudge given that we don't have all the facts. What do you think? I, I, look, I think there was obviously a great deal of bad behavior here that we would think was bad behavior. From our perspective as to how you run a financial institution in the United States, but also from a, from a general perspective right. in, ha in how you handle any business. But what about the idea that some of these laws that we have here around securities and mm -hmm. all sorts of other things that might otherwise, things that, that maybe happened would have constituted fraud or worse here, mm -hmm. wouldn't there? Well, let, let, me, let me say this. We have an incredibly well-developed and rigorous legal system around securities markets, securities issuance, securities trading, all of those things. But its basis is in the common law. And you know, outside the United States, there is still a fair amount of common law built around fraud and the like. What does our securities law system do? It creates processes, requirements, transparency, inspection that makes it much easier to detect fraud and prevent fraud. So you know, it's not, I'm not saying that around the world fraudulent activity isn't policed. We just have an what I would say is an incredibly rigorous system for deterring it, detecting it, and when it exists, uh, punishing it. You think the same level of hubris will be demonstrated in, in front of, uh, the, uh, this is obviously a much more structured setting for him. Uh, what about remorse? Would you say he was remorseful? It's what, I had a bad month? That's not really that remorseful, I don't think. Oh, I think, well, I think he, I think he recognizes the severity of the situation, but then I don't, you know, it's hard to... There's a I lot of hubris there, isn't there? No, no, what I don't know is, look, there's part of me that thinks it's like a generational thing, like that this whole thing is like a video game. No, no, that, and, that, and that crypto, everybody's so detached from like the actual reality of like, that it actually touches people in a human way. I, it's hard, look, it's hard for me to judge. I, I saw him the same way that you all saw him yeah. on the screen, so... Look, this may be an inflection point for crypto regulation going forward. A lot of what will be going on in these hearings is not just what conduct was there, you know, could it have been prevented, but where do we go from here? So these are legislators. They'll be setting the predicate for legislation that they want to introduce. Some people are thinking, you know, all crypto should be, you know, banned. You think Some that's what this is going to be about or this is going to be the greatest sort of theater or drama that you've watched in a long time? I mean... I imagine this is going to be somewhat prosecutorial. I think it'll be some of all of that. that it'll, it will be a mixed bag across the spectrum. I mean, not, not every member of Congress is going to take the same line of questioning. Why was so, Maxine Waters so nice when she first issued the invitation, kind of dripping with syrupy kind of prose saying, oh, we'd love to have you come on, stop by. Was she setting him up because she was going to slam him or was she 
being nice because he's given money to her campaign. It was such uh, a weird. I, I don't. I don't think it's the latter. I, look, I, 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 I consider her a friend. She was always very respectful. I just to didn't me. get that. Um, I, I didn't understand for a minute why they did that nice thing, especially when you have the power of subpoena that you can toss at him. You don't have to be that nice. Combo, no, we're going to subpoena don't, you. You don't have to be that nice, but at the end of the day, power of subpoena from abroad, right? Look, at the end of the day, if this is what they wanted, they have the hearing they wanted. Right. So I'm, uh, you know. Do they not have the power of subpoena from abroad? Could they I, not? I'm I, I, pretty confident that there is no ability to subpoena somebody if you're abroad. There is no, you can't extradite okay, somebody. Okay, maybe if you, you know can't that they're going to if you ever set foot back here again. Like, just know oh, that sure, we're going to Oh, sure, yeah. Get you. Maybe you can do it that way. Maybe. I, I, I don't know how it would have come out in the short amount of time that we have, but given the short amount of time that we have, avoiding the subpoena process is probably a fairly effective way uh, to get the hearing that you want. So what is John Ray? Anything new on that front? How much we're going to get? We're going to find anything? I, I think it's just what, what what's what's going on now. What, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, is there any people get thirty cents on the dollar? They get fifty cents. They get zero. I, I think in these things, it's too early to tell. But my, you'll, my you'll hear what is, process people are going through. My guess is he can talk a lot more about right. this crazy this stuff point. that Sam Bankman-Fried is saying about oh, if you just turn it back on and fire it back up, it'll all be fine and everybody had, will be made whole. Ray can answer the questions as to, yeah, that's not the case. Yeah, that's and he's a, he's a very experienced and methodical right. guy, and he's going to tell people this is the process we're going through. This, right. Last week we had uh, Kevin O'Leary on. That was a crazy. But uh, he, he kept talking about you will be able to see fingerprints of everything that went on because it's all blockchain related. So every transaction that was done is going to be on the blockchain. Is that true? You know, it's, it's a fascinating thing. We all talk about the blockchain. You know that I'm a believer in the technology. Right. I, feel, I feel like what has Will happened is... Will we be able to tell what happened? But what's interesting is not all of these um, platforms actually have right. the records on the blockchain. Right. They, they actually have, in many cases, analog records. I don't know what the case is here, but it's kind of a fascinating thing. So it's probably not... You're not going to see every single... We're not going to find all this. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. It, I mean, this is, you fix this that is thing not, yet, Mac? Is that fixed yet? What, how long is it going to fix that? No. Mac, I see you shaking your head. The <laughs> monitor keeps going out. TV stuff. Don't worry about that's, it. It's that's not, okay. uh, you know. Yeah, this is like testifying for me. You got the monitor. I, do. I, just, have to, I just have to react. And you were, you're nice <laughs> to everyone. You said nice things about Maxine, just in keeping with what I always say about you. When, you, when you're on it, you're very skilled. Skilled. Yeah. Very skilled. <laughs> yeah, it's good. good. You have to be. Good to have you on. We don't. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> you, for one, yeah, are not me. capable. Now speak for yourself. Right. Exactly. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for starting your week with us. And if you missed any of our exclusive interviews with key CEOs from our special coverage of the Business Roundtable annual meeting, you can find great podcast extras. They're called Squawk Pod Reports. They're right in the Squawk Pod feed wherever you like to get podcasts. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan. Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod to listen anytime. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. 
This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 